Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And today, I hope that the second generation Korean Americans hear this. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And today, I have a very special guest, another great role model and just someone who I look up to in my life. Um, his name is Andy Eun. I don't know. Well, if you are a Atlanta native especially korean american you might have heard him on the ktl podcast which i kind of think of as kind of the og korean american podcast <laughs> in atlanta um he's a frequent guest on that podcast um and if you've if you're part of the korean american community i'm sure you've heard of daniel prayer garden um i'm sure you've been to a retreat there or prayer night there or, or something there uh, at one point in your life and andy is actually the director the director yep i was gonna say executive director <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah a director For currently sure. um so yeah welcome to the podcast thanks david yeah. i i appreciate that yes yeah so today we're here um to talk about korean american first generation and second generation relationships Interesting. because um, i've talked about this with namu hyang on a previous episode okay and he kind of had things he wanted to um, talk to the first generation about. Mm. But um, I feel like you have a very awesome story yeah. in of rec- reconciliation that you have with you know, your parents mm. that I think everyone should know about, especially mm. if they are struggling with the relationship with their parents. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to say two things. Number one yeah. is uh, I love David's radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> So soothing. <laughs> is, is it different? <laughs> no, it's not different, but it's just extra soothing in this mm. environment for some reason. <laughs> um, and number two, uh, this is really intimate. I like this. Yeah, yeah. I like this conversation between us two. You know, don't think about it as a podcast. It's for sure. For <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I definitely I definitely love the fact that we're talking about this today. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think... Um, it's not a new conversation. I think it's a conversation that's probably been going on. I think yeah. it's it's very it's relevant. It's pertinent, um, and I definitely think that it's necessary. So I'm 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 looking forward to just engaging in the convo. Yeah. yeah. And before we dive into the topic, though, do you mind if you give your kind of background? Sure. Intro. Sure. Wow. Um, okay. Well, born and raised in Atlanta. I uh, was born in 1986. I was. Uh, I'm a North Side baby, just like 90% mm. of us. Um, I grew up in Dunwoody uh, all throughout high school, graduated from Dunwoody High, um, went to D.C. for college, went to George Washington University, uh, was a pre-law poli-sci major. Mm. And uh, ironically, while I was studying pre-law, was breaking a few. <laughs> um, and uh, in a nutshell, that was really kind of my... Uh, yeah, I, I, I hit a rock bottom at, at that point in my life, mm. and I think I had a lot of sobriety come over me. Uh, it's really where I, uh, where God became real for mm. me, and this whole, uh, you know, Christian Jesus walk became very real and authentic just for my own life. Um, so from that point, um, I pretty much traveled a little bit. I lived in Hawaii for a couple of years. Um, I finished my education at Georgia State University, um, Panthers baby. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so graduated from, from, from Georgia State and uh, been really involved in kind of, uh, I guess you could say, the Christian ministry world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been immersed in that for a long time. But uh, right around 2014, um, I was able to work for a leadership development company called mm-hmm. Giant Worldwide. Um, which was a phenomenal time. I worked for them full-time for three years, learned a lot, grew a lot, um, was mentored by, you know, just some amazing people. And after that season, wife and I came back to Atlanta uh, in 2017. So after being away from Atlanta for a long time, you know, we came back with, you know, my wife, Yuna, and our son, Arrow. Mm -hmm. Um, So the three of us came back to Atlanta. We've been here for about two and a half years now. Uh, last year we had another child, our second boy named Takaya. 
um, who's just the cutest thing ever. Oh, yeah. Both of them are. <laughs> <They're so laughs> Appreciate <cute. laughs> it. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much, you know, our journey in a nutshell. And last year is when um, taking the role as director at, at Daniel Prayer Garden became official. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably another story for another day. Yeah. But it was very uh, amazing just kind of how that whole transition happened grandfather ran it since 1992 Mm -hmm. uh, and then we kind of came in really at the perfect time and we really feel like it's a privilege and an honor Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah so can you kind of uh talk about your relationship with the first gen so not just your own parents but because in the ministry world i'm sure you've run across dealing with first generation church leaders yep so any anything you want to talk about it yeah um well i mean to the obvious would be, you know, growing up with first generation immigrant parents, mm-hmm. um, growing up in a household where we grew up with our grandparents who are also first generation. Um, I think it definitely nurtured my development and mm. my understanding of life, culture, all of the above. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, kind of beyond just a familial, a familial setting, Um, Yeah, I think being in the ministry world, being in youth ministry um, here in Atlanta uh, back 14 years ago, 13 years now, um, yeah, you definitely interact with first-gen people in the church. I mean, obviously growing up in the Korean-American church, you know, you're kind of parented by a village of people, so to speak, right? Um, So so I guess where I'm I'm going with this is first-generation relationships for me have never been scary. Mm. Um, they've always been very, it's always been very near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even to this day, I, I sit with my grand. like I just had lunch with her today, you oh, know, wow. so I, I, can, I can sit with my grandparents or really most first gen people and really connect at a heart level. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely been a journey that hasn't come easily. Um, but yeah, I would say that's that's been my first gen experience in a nutshell. Okay. Yeah. So, can you kind of describe to me because I know that you have a reconciliation story, particularly with your father, right? Sure. Can you describe your relationship kind of before that moment? Absolutely. And how it changed after that moment of reconciliation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I, I shared a little bit about this on uh, on a KTL podcast. Yeah, I totally got um, bamboozled because I didn't even know that's what we were talking about that day. <laughs> I walk in, it's like, hey, we're going to talk about our dads. I'm like, wow, okay. You know, do you? Because I kind of switched it up on you today too. No, well, I mean, it's 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 totally fine, and and I think it's real, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think it's it's a story that that I like to share actually. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for me growing up. Um, I had, I mean, I don't even know how you define typical, but I had a typical relationship with my father in the context or in the sense that anyone growing, if you're a Korean American growing up in the 80s, chances are your parents came here not really with much. Mm-hmm. Very few families came here with wealth or, right. you know what I mean? Right. Um, so so for me, growing up in the 80s, um, parents being first-generation immigrant parents, um, my dad uh, immigrated to Atlanta in 1977. When he was 25 years old, he just finished his military service. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so growing up with my dad, um, I guess typical day for us would be Waking up 7 a.m., eat breakfast, catch the bus at like 8, 8.30, like right around there. And mm-hmm. so mom mm-hmm. and dad would be there at home, you know, at least to, to see us off to school when when the big cheese came. Um, <laughs> but uh, but they would leave probably right after, right, mm-hmm. to go to work. So my parents worked downtown in uh, the fashion district, America's Mart. Right. Um, they've been doing that for over 30 years now. Um, so, yeah, so they were pretty much gone from... I'd say 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., maybe oh, wow. some nights even 9 p.m. Yeah. Like a 12-hour day for them. Yeah, mm. yeah. And that was just normal for us. Mm. Yeah, that was a normal day for Danny and Andy Un. Mm. Um, so my older brother being three and a half years older, kind of very much a young figure. You know, we were just me and him. And so, yeah, our typical day would be we'd come home from school on the school bus, maybe 3.30, 4 o'clock. 
Um, we, we have a set of our own keys and we just go in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, for a period of time, my grandparents lived with us. So that was nice having someone home. Right. But when I was six years old, um, my parent or my grandparents uh, moved to Alfreda to start the prayer garden. Mm. Yeah. So really, it was just me and my older brother. I was six. My older brother was nine. And um, so it was really just he and I. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure you could report this to child services today. But, you know, the past (laughs) is the past. But um, but yeah, so that was that was typical for us. So we would come home. Uh, I remember at the age of eight, I would make my own like lunch or like my own snack when I came home. Mm. So my mom. God bless her heart, would stack me up with Chef Boyardee. <laughs> like we would literally get like cans upon cans of Chef Boyardee because uh-huh. it's just so easy to make. Yeah, yeah. So as an eight, nine-year-old kid, you just come home and, you know, peel it open and then you pour it in the in, in a bowl and then you just microwave it. Right, so right. there's your there's your meal. And so that was very typical for us. Um, mm. But in terms of like my relationship with my dad, um, you know, I think maybe not having him around, not having him as present. I think that also kind of affects the father-son relationship. Right. Um, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like I had a horrible upbringing. I I actually think in many ways we had a, a, an amazing um just uh very privileged upbringing, but I think for me in particular, um I tended to struggle with the lack of emotional connection mm, with my yeah. dad. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure many Korean American young yeah. people can agree with. Right? Sounds very familiar. Very yeah. familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my dad, if you know anything about Korean geography, he comes from uh, Gyeongsangnam-do, mm-hmm. right? So he's Gyeongsangdo, which is the south part of Korea. And I only mention that because men from that area typically are kind of rough, right? You yeah. know, they're mm-hmm. they're stoic. Like showing, Sanai. yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> yeah. Showing emotion is not, uh, is not, is not cool. Yeah. So I think for me growing up, that was kind of the biggest struggle mm-hmm. that I had with him was um, the desire to have an emotional connection, but maybe not feeling fulfilled, right, in that way, hmm. right. And you know, now looking back in retrospect, and I'm sure you know, even you guys who are listening, you guys can can easily relate to this. Is sometimes our parents are showing us love in a different way. But I think as a young person, that doesn't register in your mind because mm. we're very me focused, right? right? We're very, we're very sensitive. We're, we're, we're still developing. And so, yeah, um, I got into a lot of trouble. I don't know how deep I'll go into the whole story, <laughs> but I got into a lot of trouble at a very young age. I mean, I was, I was getting suspended from school when I was 11. Oh, wow. Yeah, for fighting and uh, went to my first uh, drug uh, intervention program when I was 13 years old. I oh was, wow! Yeah, I was selling Adderall at my school. It's another story for another day. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> so I have this one story. I'll just share it here. Yeah, yeah. It's just just for comic relief. So um, when I was 13, uh, I got caught selling Adderall at Peachtree Middle School. I got suspended, and they threatened me with expulsion if I didn't complete this drug intervention program for teens. Mm-hmm. So obviously, my parents are all over that. Right. But one of the stipulations of the program was that only your father, a father figure could bring you to the program. Interesting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my mom couldn't take me. I think my dad was kind of judged. He's <laughs> like, why the hell do I have to take you? You know what <laughs> right. I mean? He's like, right. why am I wasting a work day? But, mm. you know, but and so anyway, so my dad and I were in the car. I'm 13 years old. Awkward as hell. I'm yeah. just being honest, yeah, right? Yeah. Like awkward dad sitting in the car i'm sitting in the back seat i'm just like oh my god again we were going to this mm. this program and so anyway so we go to this program and it's i mean i guess i kind of call it like a like a aa meeting for kids uh-huh. like that's kind of really what it was so you go around in a circle and all these teens 15 year old kids 14 16 year old kids almost all predominantly white to be honest mm-hmm. uh, they're all there with their dads hmm. And, uh, and so one of the first things we had to do is you had to go up uh, kind of in front of everyone and introduce yourself. So the father introduces his name and then introduces his son mm-hmm. and then introduces kind of why they're here, right? So the first kid that went up, I'm just going to make I don't make up a name. His name was like Johnny Smith or something, right? Yeah. So Johnny Smith <laughs> goes up with his dad and his dad's name's like Frank or something, right? He's mm-hmm. like, hey, guys, my name's Frank Smith and this is my son, Johnny. And he's like, you know, we're here because... 
you know, Johnny made some mistakes in life, and <laughs> and and we're working on this, and mm. and and we, you know, we're just believing, you know, that Johnny's going to change or something like that, right? right? Yeah, it was very like wholesome, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, wow, what a great dad, yeah. right? So my turn comes up, and my dad comes up in his broken English, and mm. he's like, "My name is Jay Un, and we are here because my son is stupid." <laughs> <laughs> If I remember correctly, I honestly think he said my son did a stupid, right? Uh-huh. So it wasn't even my son is a stupid. My son did a stupid. And mm. so, you know, I just remember just doing a face palm after that and being like, wow, like, thanks, dad. I feel I feel so loved. So, mm. you know, anyways, like that that's a funny story. But um, but we definitely we we hit some rough patches right. in yep. our relationship. Mm. Um, I got hit a lot. Mm-hmm. I would say 98% of the time I deserved it. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of retarded stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for me, I think there was a long time that I deeply resented my dad. Mm-hmm. I don't think I recognized that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, I mean, and, and again, for just the sake of time, I think there was layers to it. I think it wasn't just the emotional emotional disconnection, but maybe just some other factors too where... I felt like maybe there were certain expectations on me that I didn't feel were fair. Um, but all that to say is um, th- th- a, a huge turning point in my life happened mm-hmm. uh, when I was 18. Again, for the sake of time, um, I went to jail for some drug charges. I was in Washington, D.C. And again, just to speed up the story, um, I... I, I got expelled from from George Washington. I came back to Atlanta, and essentially, I had a series of encounters with God mm-hmm. where it was just undeniable. Mm. Um, it wasn't at a church. There was no praise band. There was no pastor. Um, one of the times that a moment like that happened, I was in a homeless shelter. I was I was volunteering at a homeless shelter mm. in Birmingham, Alabama, for five days. Um, and just one day just decided to read the Bible and it just clicked for me, just Mm. became real. Um, so for me, if I'm just sharing the story as authentically as I can, Mm -hmm. I would say that everything in my life really changed at the age of 18 because not only did I have a spiritual encounter, but the best way I can describe it is I encountered real love for the first time Hmm. like authentic immersive a million percent love Hmm. and you know you hear people talk about you know whatever you want to call it a born-again experience or whatever you may have grown up but for me it's it's uh, it was undeniable being in hawaii being this reject jacked up kid Mm. um feeling so empty and low in life and feeling like someone was inviting me to a relationship Mm. like someone was like hey i i know you and i can only come i can only connect with you in your heart if you'll open your heart to me Mm -hmm. and i think just where i was in life i mean it it was a no-brainer i think i was just desperate so do you think um your encounter with God yeah. fulfilled a emotional void that you kind of had with your physical father. A million percent, a hundred, a hundred and thousand percent, yes. Um, and I didn't realize it in the moment, mm-hmm. but it's kind of we tend to recognize things in hindsight. And I think after I after I started to recognize that my life was changing, let mm-hmm. me just put it like that. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I'm not trying to be vague, but I just, I'm, I'm just trying to really explain it as, as, as truthfully as I can. But as I started to recognize my life changing, right? Oftentimes when our life's changing, you don't recognize it in the moment, right? Because you're in the process. But I started to recognize it when people that were closest to me started recognizing it. And mm-hmm. they were like, you're, you're different. Mm-hmm. Something's different about you. And it was hard to articulate, but I started to recognize it. And so... I think once I started to recognize that my life was changing, I had to ask the question, well, what was changing? Mm. And I started to recognize my heart was changing, that I as a human being, I as a person that was less anxious, Mm. was less, 
I don't know, uh, less concerned about me was was more fulfilled. I felt more at peace. I felt more whole as a person, you know? And again, it's just as as real as it is, it's just I think when your heart becomes filled with love, mm-hmm. you you're not really seeking it out in all the wrong places anymore. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know, is there anything else you wanted to ask with Oh that? no, so I'm just trying to uh that was a that was a I'm trying to sorry, I'm trying to pick up the pieces, not pieces, but um <laughs> there were so many questions I had along the way, but I didn't want to interrupt sure. you because that was a great that was great. But um one question I did want to ask and probably sure. we can hypothesize about this because we I don't know if we'll have the answer, but yeah. As second generation yeah. Korean Americans, yeah. I feel like we long for that emotional connection with our father. Yeah. We probably long for it with our mothers as well, but they usually provide that for us. So yes. I think it's more accentuated in our fathers. Yep. Agreed. But do you think that our fathers desired that from their fathers as well? Or oh, is yeah. there something about their upbringing that was different? So they like were able to numb it or I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, the the simple answer is I think yes, mm. a, a, of course. I mean, and, and that's just understanding who we are as people Mm. you know Mm -hmm. it's who doesn't want to be loved right you know who who isn't craving for affirmation and especially as a boy Mm. what boy out there isn't craving um to be affirmed Mm. or to be validated by their father i mean that's really the role of of a dad right? right so a dad is there i always say kind of three things is to protect provide and um to promote that's mm. kind of the, you know, when I think about fatherhood mm. in a nutshell, the right? Three P's. Yeah, the like three it. P's. Yeah, mm. provide, protect, and promote. Um, and promote really meaning to to push forward and to, you know, really come behind and support. Right. But I think every, I think every boy is looking for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely know that that was part of my dad's history as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess taking a, a moment to just dissect this yeah. a little bit, I think... Again, and I'm not trying to get uber historical or, or all of that, but I think it is I think it is important to understand where our parents come from. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the first step of empathy, mm. right? The first step of empathy is to recognize what the other person's context is. And yeah. so I think for me, when a lot of this life change was happening in my life, I knew that I was changing because the way that I saw life started to change. Mm-hmm. And in a nutshell, I stopped seeing my dad as just my dad, Mm -hmm. but I started seeing him as a human being, just Mm -hmm. as an individual. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it was no longer in the context of, yo, you're my dad and you screwed up at my dad. It was more like, who are you as a man? Mm -hmm. And what was your life like? So it was kind of maybe a maturity moment for me to Mm -hmm. step out of myself and stop being so, you know, me centric, Mm -hmm. right? Which Mm -hmm. just, that's our default. Um, but to really ask, like, what did you go through? Right. And, and, and what was your life like? And so I think, I think it's interesting to note that our parents' generation, if your dad or your mom is a baby boomer, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a spectrum of where people are on the baby boomer um, kind of, you know, landscape. But if your parents are Korean American baby boomers, chances are they grew up in the wake of the Korean War. Right. Mm. And so I think most people don't ever stop to think how that has affected a national psyche Mm -hmm. and just the culture of a people. But you have to understand that Korea went through a civil war. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. In very simple psychological terms, Korea went through a divorce. Mm. Mom and dad split up. Mm -hmm. So what happens when mom and dad splits up? Kids get jacked up. Yeah. Kids feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. The kids are the kids are the are the deepest. Um recipients of the pain of a divorce right Mm -hmm. not to say that moms and dads aren't feeling pain either but so our moms and dads we have to realize they woke up they they grew up not in the wealthy k-pop you know right gangnam style korea yeah they grew up in a very different korea yeah they grew up in a very impoverished korea um not only so but they also grew up in the wake of a korean war where literally the country's divided mm-hmm. and li- families are split because yes I, my 
grandfather's younger brother. Yeah. He almost actually got like taken as a POW to the north. That's crazy. But the crazy thing is the guy taking him up, yeah. his commander, yeah. was his uh I guess like older classmate in school, in high school. Wow. And he said, Hey, this this life like I don't want you to have to go through this. So yeah, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. let you sneak out in the middle of the night. So oh my god. Like he was literally being taken up to Pyongyang. Wow. But he because as luck would have it, he knew one of the people there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So and, and that's a very fortunate situation right but i know there are families where that kind of fortune didn't visit them no so families literally are split and i know even now to this day there are people who like haven't seen siblings or wives or husbands in decades because of this oh yeah Yeah. Mm. i mean you can youtube it you can youtube north south korea family reconciliation Mm. try to watch it for five minutes and not cry (laughs) (laughs) so you know so again like i can sit here and explain it but if you've never watched the movie taeguki I would say you should watch it. Oh, one of my favorite movies. Absolutely. I mean, that movie will give you an artistic portrayal of the reality of what that war did. Mm. Um, Like the American Civil War, brother fought against brother and family fought against family. And so, so what does that do? That's the, here's the question, right? I'm, I'm, I'm humanizing the conversation. So what does that do to a nation? Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a divorce in a family. And so just, Physically, many men died mm. and many orphans were created out of the Korean War. Mm. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, Koreans are one of the most adopted foreign uh, kids in the mm. United States. Oh. There's so many, you know, uh, and, and that I only say that to connect it with a, a, an adoption movement yeah. that started in the wake of Korean War. But so my point is this. Korea, in many ways, became an orphan nation. Mm. It became an orphan nation. It became a nation where war struck and fathers are somewhat missing out of the picture. And you have a whole new generation in a whole new era learning, developing, growing up in, in 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 a different society. And so I know that that affected my father just on a very physical level. Mm. Um, so my my side of the family, the inside of the family, we come from a very small Shigor town called Miryang. Most people have never heard of it. It's like a village. But because they wanted to give my dad, who was the firstborn son, a better education, they shipped him off to Busan. Oh. And he lived there with distant relatives. Mm. And so I think for him, um, and I think for anyone in, in that situation, I think that deeply affected him as a young mm. kid. Um even though you grow up with, you know, the f- familial duty of being a changnam, being a firstborn, and and wanting to take care of your family, I mean, the, the reality is, is you're separated from your family. So, mm-hmm. I think my father is somewhat of a picture, maybe a microcosm of mm-hmm. of really what a generation went through. And so, I started to realize that this was—I don't want to call it an epidemic. Let's just say this was very commonplace. Mm-hmm. I think growing up because I would talk to my friends who were growing up and we would exchange stories about how our dads beat, beat our asses. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, Oh, that's how you got beat last night. Like you got a, you know, you got a baseball bat. Oh, I got a whip. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Or I got a belt. It's like, Oh my gosh, I don't feel so bad anymore. Yeah. So it was like, you know, it's like, I think for us, it was, it, I started to realize like, wow, there's a lot of people in this position. Mm-hmm. And then now being in a, in a, in a ministry context, you started to recognize that, oh, there, there are other people that have deep wounds mm. with the first generation, yeah. uh, whether it be with mom or whether it be with dad or whether it be with just the first generation church. So yeah, I just started to recognize this is, this is uh, an issue that's worth talking about. Yeah. 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 And I think I, I like how we dived into the historical aspect of it because as Korean Americans, me growing up, I didn't really know about Korean history. Mm. I only knew what my parents told me mm. or what I picked up myself. But mm. it's not like even world history in high school. Mm. They go into, you know, Europe, like how everything started in like the Middle East, all that kind of stuff. But mm. never there might have been one chapter in East Asia and it was predominantly, you know, Japanese and Chinese. China. Yeah. Um, so as second generation Korean Americans, yeah. I, I don't know how much we know about our own history. Mm. you know so i don't i don't know how many people actually know that our parents grew up in the wake of an end of a war yeah yeah 
I think that might put things into perspective. Absolutely. You know, knowing that they're kind of in survival mode. Yeah. And that that's kind of how they grew up, how their psyche was influenced, how yeah. their personalities were probably influenced. Yeah. I think that actually does explain a lot about our relationship wow. with the first gen. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we I feel like this story connects with so many people who are probably listening to this, mm. who are you're on any spectrum of being second generation, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe some even third generation, which is just crazy to me here mm-hmm. in Atlanta. But yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I think anyone, whether it's just growing up or whether it's growing up in the church, I think this connects with so many people of, you know, feeling first generation wounds. Mm-hmm. Let's just call it for what it is, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it can feel like bitterness. It can feel like resentment. Um, it can feel like denial. Mm-hmm. Um we can just brush it under the rug and be like, well, you know, I'm just going on with my life. But mm. really, you recognize that there's something going on in the surface when something triggers it. Mm-hmm. So whenever you do come across like a first generation person and you react out of this intense anger and mm-hmm. you're like, well, why am I so angry? It's like, there's probably something there. Mm. So mm. I, I say that to say that um, my personal experience, I don't want to sound like a anthropologist, <laughs> but my personal experience is... I think growing up in the Korean American church, um, the Korean American context, there was definitely a cultural gap Mm, for sure. Cultural gap, which also includes language gap, Mm -hmm. uh, which includes a generational gap. So there was definitely a cultural gap. I think we were dealing with gaps on so many levels, right? And, And I think maybe we've never taken the time to really understand why that is or how deeply that affected us, Mm. but what I'm kind of hoping for is maybe examining how that can be redeemed. Yeah. How yeah. we can see not, not light at the end of the tunnel, but how we can see like a different perspective. Right. You know? Yeah. So, um, for me, as I like, as I think about first generation, second generation dynamic, number one is you have a language barrier. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Cause we're talking about basic communication. Right. Number two, you have uh, an age barrier. So go mm-hmm. like if your parents are baby boomer and you're a millennial, think about how different those cultures are. Right. Think about how different the time timeline and the mindset of both generations are. So that's another factor we have against us. The third thing is, is we have a cultural barrier. Yeah. So yeah. you're talking about a, a, a people that have been steeped in really Confucian value, if you really distill it down to its core, Mm -hmm. a Confucian value, an East Asian Confucian value for thousands of years, our parents growing up in that, being Mm -hmm. immersed in that, us growing up in a very polar opposite culture called American culture, which is not Confucian, which is very democratic, which is not hierarchical, Mm -hmm. which is very freedom oriented. So you have all of these factors in play between first and second generation and then oftentimes I think about why there's such a schism or why we're not getting along. And I'm yeah. just kind of like, well, it's a miracle that we even did get along. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? So I, I feel like that's that's the story. Um, yeah, and with the, the cultural gap, yeah. I feel like that's just really kind of exponentially blown up because mm-hmm. we grew up, you know, watching tv Mm -hmm. and our parents like you said they weren't really home that often because they're out hustling trying to provide for us so our fatherly role models were like people like danny tanner yes you know in the full house and and things like that so we almost have absolutely no sense of what the korean culture really is because we were so immersed in the american culture because our parents sent us to school they yep. wanted us to be yep. really into this culture so that we can thrive in it right yep. so I, I think that just furthered the gap um i think there there is some level of cultural gap between any first and second generation but yeah. because we are you know current americans yeah. our parents are first gen we're second gen i think it, the gap is much wider than any others oh i i completely agree i think See, the fact that we're immersed in America and, you know, the fact that we are immersed in another culture, it's, we're almost speaking, not only, we're, we're not only speaking two different physical languages, 
we're almost speaking two different psychological languages. Mm. We're, it, we're coming from different value systems. Mm-hmm. So here's a quick example. I mean, American value is kind of chase your dreams, follow your heart, right. pursue your passion. Yeah. Does that make sense to a first generation group <laughs> where they're like, what are you talking about, right? Because mm. for them, they grew up with such a sense of familial duty. Mm-hmm. So I, actually, I feel like I'm hitting a vein right now. So like first generation comes from the context of familial duty, which mm-hmm. means it's not about your dream. It's not about your passion. It's about the collective. Mm. This is the fundamental difference of Korean culture, American culture. Let me just put it like this, Eastern culture, Western culture, and how deeply this affects us, right? Right. So in their mind, in their value system, it's really about the collective. So your individual identity serves a collective whole. Mm. One's not better than the other. It's just different. So for a child in in a Korean context, it's not follow your dream, your passion. It's what are you going to do that's necessary that's going to help take care of the family? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we joke about it, right? We're like, you know, we came here and my parents were like, you know, you're going to be a doctor, lawyer or, you know, a teacher. or I don't know. Like it's really just doctor, lawyer. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) like and and, and we joke about that, but I, I, I don't think we understand what their value is behind mm, that because mm-hmm. don't get me wrong i'm not trying to say one person's right or wrong i think in in certain regards with first gen i think it is healthy to let this the the, the young person or the child find find themselves i think mm-hmm. that's just a healthy value yeah. but i do think that oftentimes we we criticize the first gen and you're just like oh you're just crushing my dreams and you don't want me to have a life and you just want me to do whatever you want mm. but not taking the time to empathize be like oh they didn't really have that opportunity themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, my dad, he's quite an artistic guy, mm. but he runs a jewelry business, mm. you know? And in many ways, I don't think for him it was, oh, what am I going to do that's going to help me express my passion? Mm. It was, what are we going to do so that we're going to survive? Yeah. So that we can live. That's, that's interesting, because yeah. my dad also, he he was a very poetic guy. Wow. Um, he... Even now, get it from David. (laughs) No, actually, he. I didn't know until I started liking writing. Wow! But he apparently won like competitions and stuff when he was in middle school. Like they would, he lived in Tegu, but they would fly him to Seoul because he won competitions and things like that. That's awesome. And even now at church, apparently when he prays, Mm. like people are like, "Wow, he's like such a articulate, like poetic guy." Wow. Um, But he's yeah, he just runs a business. He has he never really pursued that part of his. uh, his passions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much time we have. So I just kind of want to get to maybe just some of my core yeah, thoughts, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, I don't know, man. I think it's really just about like, do we have a heart of empathy? Mm. Um, we, as in the second generation, as a second generation, mm-hmm. that's kind of who we're, we're more or less talking to, you mm-hmm. know? So I think the first question is just, do we have a heart of empathy? Mm. Um, and I want to say something maybe as a quote unquote counselor, mm-hmm. um, cause I, that's what I do it primarily less like half my work at the prayer garden. But, um, I want to say that people's pain is real. Mm-hmm. So I'm not negating people's pain. Mm-hmm. I'm not negating people, what people have gone through. I think the first step to closure or first step of moving forward is to actually let our pain breathe. Mm-hmm. and to be honest with it. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm negating that, but I do want to say like if we've if we've embraced our pain and we've told our story and let our heart breathe a little bit, you know, my question then would be um how much do we empathize? Mm. And are we able to get outside of ourselves? Mm. Cuz I think the the greatest hindrance to any sort of reconciliation is the ego. Right. Is the sense of self. Mm. And so I think that would be the first thing is just, you know, do we do we have a heart to to understand them? Because I know for myself, as my heart turned towards my father, Mm -hmm. um, there was just really deep empathy and sympathy moments that I would have for him. Mm. And I think that in a weird, inadvertent way, that was very healing for my own heart. Mm. So it's like in feeling another person's pain or even just being able to think about another person somehow you become the recipient of even healing and, and things like that. But 
Um, I think as I started to view my father and just view the first gen in their context, I mean, again, I'm not acting like I'm an angel and I don't have my days where I'm like super frustrated. Right, and, you right. know, like I definitely have that. But I just think that um, if we long for relationship with them, mm. 98% of the time they are longing for relationship with us. Mm. And I think just as much angst as we feel, I almost guarantee they probably feel just as much as we mm. do. Um, because as much as, as much as our parents, you know, may not get it at times or as much as we feel a riff with them, like at the end of the day, like you just kind of have to stop and think for a second and be like, but they're parents yeah, and I'm their kid mm. and we're their kid. And you know, it's just like what, what normal parent out there wouldn't give an arm and a leg for their kid, Yeah, yeah. you know? And so. I don't know. That's just a first thought that I had. And I'm, I'm sure for you, that kind of thought takes new meaning. You being a father, you probably experience, you know, if ever Arrow and you or Takaya and you yeah. were to have a severance in relationship, I'm sure you would be the one wanting to reconcile that more, maybe even more so than uh, Arrow and Takaya themselves, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, so. I, I think that's the most tender part in any parent's heart. Yeah. So I think if, as a second generation we're assuming that we're the only ones longing for reconciliation. That might be just not true. I, That's I would, a great point, David. Yeah, I would argue that they're probably longing for it even more, but they just don't know how to approach us. Mm. Language barrier. They don't know how to you know talk to us generationally, you know, and culturally. So yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what I think. Because um, me and my dad, we actually have a really good relationship. Okay, um, that's awesome. This was before, before he was a Christian. We we did have little bits of fighting. He yeah. was very always like per perfectionist. Yeah, he would tutor me math, and whenever I didn't get something right, he would like be very angry. Yeah, but um, that was the extent of like he never hit me. Wow, um, anything like that. He did push me to not go to art school mm. and to go to engineering school, which I did. Mm. Um, but like with the benefit of hindsight, I know that it actually probably worked out better for me sure. that I did that. So um, my experience with the friction of between the first generation yeah. is actually mostly from the church. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, because at my old church, our pastor turnover for the youth group was crazy high. Mm. So we actually dealt with the first generation leaders a lot more than just the, the youth group pastor. Okay. Um, so yeah, just... Thinking back, I always thought things like, why are they so set in their ways? Why does it have to be this specific way? Why can't we try something new and do it the way that we want to do it? Wow. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of that came from the ego. Mm -hmm. A lot of that came from me, my refusal to even try to understand or even want to understand their yep. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, and I, I think, yeah, that's a... I think you're hitting a really deep point. I think, I think it's both and, mm -hmm. you know, cause I, cause I have first generation mentors who are very, I don't want to just say progressive, but they're very, um, they really make an effort to connect with, with the next generation. Mm -hmm. So I have a handful of mentors like that. And I would say as, I mean, obviously I, probably couldn't come out of my mouth, but when they talk to first gen people, mm -hmm. you know, they speak in a tone of at times rebuke mm -hmm. and at times just even like, Hey, like we are, we're literally losing the next generation. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and we're responsible. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's just real, you mm -hmm. know, and maybe we'll be yeah. in a position like that one day. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's, oh, there, there is that side of, of the argument, right? Yeah. So where it's like, um, you know, the reality is, is, you know, I don't know if any, if, if you guys are familiar with this term, but there was a PhD study done in, in Trinity Theological Seminary many years ago um, by a Korean American professor who wanted to study statistic, statistic, uh, analytic data mm -hmm. on the trends of the Korean American church. And what he found blew his mind and he titled it The Silent Exodus. So what he found was that from first generation to second generation, that once students go off to college, only 10%, if that, return back into the local church setting. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, this, this PhD study, you can find it online. Just mm. type in silent exodus. So 
I think sometimes we have to examine and just say, okay, there's proof in the pudding. Mm-hmm. Like we can't, yeah. we can't overlook data. We can't overlook facts, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we also don't want to go down the rabbit hole of bitterness and resentment and just right. be like, screw you. And I was there at one point. I'm just going to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was down the rabbit hole of just screw you. It's, it's hopeless. Like we're just going to do our own thing and just completely rebellious. But what I started to recognize was that that wasn't, A, the heart of God. Mm. And that wasn't really, that really wasn't where, where peace was found. Right. You know, that's where, quote unquote, freedom is found, whatever that means to you. But I think it was, it's really the road less traveled. And I don't think it's the road for the faint of heart. Mm. But I really believe that there is a rising movement amongst certain second gen people where their hearts are turning. Mm. And I do believe that it's happening even with the first gen. Mm. I think there is a movement like that happening right now where, you know, there are there is a lot of hope in that area. Mm. Yeah. So then finally getting to your story yeah, of yeah, reconciliation. Yeah. Um, what do you think triggered it? Yeah. Was it was it like a turn uh a willingness to empathize and um for me, it was so everything that I'm saying about you know closure and and closure in life. It's not theoretical for me. It's very experiential. Mm. So I think for me, if we want to talk about processes, it started with me being very open with my heart and my pain. Mm. So, and this happened through a counselor, you know. And I think there's so much benefit in connecting with either a counselor or a really awesome small group. Mm-hmm. I just think it's it's very healthy for the soul, right? right? And yeah. especially in an age where we lack connection everywhere. So, but I think for me, it was with a counselor, it was just being able to really identify and vocalize mm. and kind of let my heart breathe. I think that was the beginning steps for me to heal within me. Because mm. I think that, that, that that's absolutely necessary. You can't heal out of principle. You can only heal out of experience, right. right? And so, and so for me, that was kind of the first steps. I think from there, I think as I let my heart breathe and really recognize that, like, a yes, there's a spiritual like love factor there, but there's also just a growing up a decision for maturity. Mm. But I think from there, it became. Um, a gradual process because I don't want to make it sound like this is a six month thing. Right, right, yeah. right. For me, yeah. we're talking about in totality, really an eight year journey, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Of really my heart coming into a, a three six or a one eighty degree turnaround. But right. I think from there, it it was a gradual process of moments and understanding and learning. Um, practically speaking, sitting down with my mom mm. and just asking her questions, mm. being like, you know, tell me about Appa. Mm. you know and my mom looking at me now at the age of like 23 and being like you're a little bit older now let's let's go to some deeper waters oh wow so i think it was kind of just gradual moments like that so more than it being like a moment mm. i would say it was a motive yeah it was really a a, a, a resolve in my heart to want something mm. and that actually i think that's, that's a very practical way to approach it to go to your mom right Cause, yeah because typically we have better relationships with our mom yeah, than yeah. Our dads. yeah yeah and then, and then so further explain kind of how did that develop or culminate to the moment where you and your father kind of saw more eye to eye and felt you felt that reconciliation happen? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't I, I can't say that it was a, a, a moment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I think there were moments of clarity. OK. And so I think just as I began to pursue my father, um, you know, again, it's like when your love tank is filled, you're not, you're not going to your dad wanting to receive love. Mm. I actually started to recognize that I wanted to go to him because I wanted to give love. Wow. As crazy as that sounds, but that's just really what happened was I wanted to just love him, you Mm. know, and I wanted to let him know that I respected him and I was thankful for him. So, you know, I'd be a little bit more mushy with cards, you know Mm. what I mean? And be like, Appa, I love you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I'm sure my dad was like super awkward when he read that. He's like, (laughs) you know, Um, and, you know, just being more affectionate, just giving him hugs, you know, even if it felt like he didn't know what to do in the beginning, but just Mm. being more vocal. So I think here's the reality, you guys, is I think 
that when our hearts even begin to turn to our parents, mm. I think it just begins to unlock them. Mm. There's a way that my kids touch my heart that nobody else can. Mm. And whether you're 39, whether you're 26, whether you're 18, whether you're 14, I think if we were to turn our heart to our parents, mm-hmm. they don't see the 39-year-old kid. Mm. They see us in our in our in our in childhood. childhood yeah uh, you know what i mean yeah. and i think that's the thing that i think maybe sometimes we forget is that when they look at us they're like you're still my kid mm. you'll always be my kid you know even when they're 81 and we're 60 you right, know like right. they'll look at us and say you're still my kid so i just think that's kind of the the moment of clarity is that um yeah is that as as our hearts turn towards them uh it really will unlock them because oh, wow. because they're longing for they're longing for an affectionate relationship as well. Mm. Yeah, and along with that, though, so how old were you when when I know you said there's not a moment, but yeah. how old were you when you felt like, oh, I've really kind of unlocked this love in, in my father? I would say probably around the age of like twenty. 25 mm. that's when i moved to korea okay so, or sorry I, I moved to korea when i was 20 24 um and so yeah i think when i moved to korea mm-hmm. obviously distance and the infrequency of seeing each other i think whenever i would see my parents maybe once a year twice a year you know either i would come here or they would come out um mm-hmm. i think i think they i think i started to recognize that um he was different. Mm. He was starting to change. Gotcha. You know, he was more, um, he was more warm and he was more understanding. He was willing to listen. Mm. Um, I think that was a huge, like what the mm. moment was when I started to talk to my dad and it was almost like he was inviting me to the table to talk to him as a man. Mm. And he was listening to me as another man. And oh. I think that was a huge, like, whoa moment, you mm. know? Um, for me, I think, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it was just for me and my dad, but like, I think when I was in seminary, you know, I think my dad in his mind was like, oh, my son must know God now. Oh, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah. he's like, I'm going to listen to my, <laughs> my Moksanim son. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think also when I got married and when I had kids mm. and now I became a dad, that was pretty interesting too, because, you know, my dad would sit next to me and say some interesting comments. He'd be like, you know, basically in Korean, he's like, oh, now you know what it feels like. Uh, you know, he's like, yeah, raising yeah. kids aren't easy, is yeah. it? You know, and I'm yeah. like, nope, it's not. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's been, it's been a journey. I think being my dad becoming a grandfather, mm-hmm. you know, and then seeing him interact with our kids. I'm telling this to you, David, yeah. you're going to see a whole nother side of your dad. Mm. It's just, it's going to weird you out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so would you, do you think that there's kind of a, ripe time to pursue reconciliation because it sounds like for sure us as a second generation person mm-hmm. i think there is some level of maturity required because mm-hmm. without that you don't even know that you don't even desire reconciliation right, right. Um, but on the, on the receiving end of our first generation parents yeah do you think what do you think about when the good time to approach them is I think it really has to do with you as an individual. Mm. I think it has less to do with maybe your parents and more to do with you. Mm. I think it's, are you ready? Mm. Honestly, I think that's when you know you're ready is when you're ready, you know? And Mm. so I think the question would be, you know, have you, have you, have you allowed yourself to feel the things that you're suppressing? Mm. Have you allowed yourself to, to talk about it? Have you allowed yourself to gain perspective? Have, have you, talked these things through with another person or a friend or Mm. you know what i'm saying yeah because i think a lot of the times what happens is number one when something's buried there's just no hope for change Mm. it's just it's in the dark it's gonna stay in the dark and it's it's like having it's like having like bugs in your attic you know what i mean it's just they're just gonna stay there you know Mm. um but i think when i think when we go after those things or when we want to go after those things and we make an, like I said, it's not a moment, it's a motivation yeah. or a motive. Um, I think that's when you'll start to see that you're ready and, you know, um, 
and you know obviously there's like practical things of just gauging you know how ready your your parents are but right. ultimately let me just put it like this it's about having conversation mm. and that is terrifying for some of us yeah you know it's like like i'm gonna say a phrase and tell me if this makes you feel weird right but it's like sitting down with your dad and being like appa can we have a conversation yeah, <laughs> yeah. right like some yeah. some people are already like what the <laughs> i didn't sign up for that yeah. um but I really think that as uncomfortable as it is, mm -hmm. because you can't have reconciliation without breaking into discomfort. Mm -hmm. There's just no way around it. You know, it's, um, it's because we've been self-preserving ourselves that we kind of got here in the first place. Yeah. Um, but I think that, yeah, it all has to boil down to having conversations. And mm -hmm. I say it with an S because it has to be more than one. Yeah. You know, and so... You know, I just, I, I, again, I remember the first time where I was like, Appa, like, let's, let's go to McDonald's. And then he was like, okay, well, tell your mom to get ready. I said, no, just me and you, oh. <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. And then he would like, kind of looked at me. It was like super <laughs> weird. And I was like, yeah, let's just go to McDonald's. And like, you know, truth be told, like sitting there, it was awkward because I realized that at the age of 27 or 28, I'm sorry, we had never gone out one-on-one -on -one oh, wow. my entire life. Mm. This was the first time that he and I were sitting with a McGriddle and a cup of coffee, like just talking, Yeah, you know? And I just think if you're willing to weather the storm yeah. of awkwardness and adversity, like, I think there's hope. Yeah. And I also want to point out, I don't think language is as big a barrier as we think it is. No, it's not. Yeah. Because... Oh, from personal experience, when I see like babies, when, when like when I see Takaya, you know, it's not like I want to communicate with them, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't sit there and saying, oh, I don't understand your baby gibberish, so I'm gonna stop talking to you. It's, yes, it's I'm seeking out ways to communicate. Yeah, and I, I think if we approach our parents in that, well, when we approach our parents wanting conversation, yeah. I feel like they would have the same kind of heart. Absolutely, even if they don't speak speak a lick of english yeah i think they'll want to communicate they'll do whatever they can to yeah. communicate and yeah well i completely agree with you yeah. i'm going to add a caveat to that um i do want to say this though and i'm speaking as a fellow korean american that really sucked at korean like i don't know six seven years ago uh -huh. and i'm not acting like i'm the bomb now <laughs> but i do want to say is that if we're if you're over the age of 25 you're a little bit mature in life, mm -hmm. learn some freaking Korean. <laughs> like, honestly, like, mm. like, I just think at this point, like, it's like, it's really not on our parents mm. to try to conform to us. Yeah. But I think it really is on a grown adult. I'm just like, dude, let's learn, let's learn Korean. Yeah. Buy the Rosetta Stone, mm. pay $300. It's worth it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I just think that if, if we really make an effort to learn, I think that also goes a long way yeah. because we're we're speaking their heart language yeah 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 and conversations with their parents in korean will help us absolutely language yeah. and i think they'll take us more seriously yeah for sure <laughs> and you know these days on netflix there's so many good korean tv shows oh yeah dude yeah. mr sunshine oh yeah oh mr sunshine is actually a really good it is good show to watch because it has a lot of those historical elements absolutely that, yeah absolutely i should yeah. get paid for them yeah <laughs> Netflix, if you're listening, <laughs> check out to Andy. <laughs> so um, one last question I want to sure. ask um, sure. regarding reconciliation. Sure. I think one of the big barriers is the disconnect and desire. Mm. Right? So I think when I think about the few conflicts that I did have with my parents, yeah. it's because I wanted to go to art school. But mm. they were very adamant about me doing something more practical. Okay. Um, how would what, if someone going through that? Mm -hmm. What would you recommend in that situation? Like someone in a similar scenario to that? Yes, but they're desiring reconciliation. I mean, okay, I, okay. I think legally, yes, you're an adult. Mm. If you're 18 years old, like legally, you're an adult, and um, we are called to honor our parents. Mm -hmm. But you have to understand that. Um, like, let's just say if you, okay, it's, it's a tricky question because if you're living under the roof and yeah, all this stuff, yeah. like, you know, th there's certain obligations that are there, but I, I would say in a, again, every case so different, but in a simplistic way, I don't know, just off the top of my head is I would say 
engage in some conversations mm, regarding that regarding issue. that mm. honestly and because you're 18 you're a more you know conscious thinking adult mm. is be if you're in that situation be willing to engage your parents in a conversation mm. honestly i'll keep it real maybe the three first three four five will feel like it's going nowhere mm. they may end up in frustration they may end up in um it may end up in you know it may feel like you're taking steps backwards right but and this just came to me now it's just a conversation i had many years ago but i think it's also got to be about presentation mm-hmm. right so it's also got like we have to understand that i mean at least for me growing up for me i felt like i was talking to a ceo Huh. Or an investor. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Father, if you buy me this new PS2, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, these are the benefits that right. it will, you know what I mean? Like, right. so, but, but, you know, this is me joking, but I think, I think if you're, if you, if there's something that you want to pursue, it's a passion of yours, but it seems to go be contrary to your parents' mm-hmm. d- desires or wishes. I think really at the end of the day, there's probably two to three questions your parents are deeply fundamentally asking, right? Mm. Um, I think number one is they're probably wondering, are you for real about this? Mm, yeah. Like, honestly, they're looking at us as an 18, 21, 22 year old and just saying like, are you for real? Or is this going to be a trend? Is it going to be a fad? Mm. That's, I'm just assuming that's probably question number one. Right. I think question number two is how viable is this? Mm. That is where we run into the generation barrier. This is where we run into cultural barrier. But that's why I'm saying it has to be through conversation. Right. You have to engage it over. Honestly, dude, I've built, I've made PowerPoint presentations for my parents. Oh, no, really? I, I really have. Right. <laughs> like like some of y'all might have to go to that extent. Right. Or some of us might have to do that. But right. but I think really they're asking how viable is this? Right. Mm-hmm. Like like, for example, like your situation with art school, you know, I'm not saying you made the right decision or the wrong mm-hmm. decision. You mm-hmm. made the decision that you made. But I'm saying like maybe if you were to replay that situation and you were to sit down with them over a series of conversations, right? And and really asking them to hear your heart out, right? Mm-hmm. As, as a young person, but as their son, and you were to talk about, actually, Appa, I think this is the viability, like, mm. you know, the, 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 the digital, you know, um, graphics market is actually a booming industry and it's actually pretty well paying. Like, really, those are the fundamental questions that they're asking in the back of their mind. Mm-hmm. So I think if we make an effort to try to maybe answer some of those things, you probably have a better chance of winning their heart. Right. And, and just for just to kind of tell people about my personal experience, I realized with the benefit of hindsight that my desire to go to art school was my desire to have a creative outlet. Mm. It wasn't necessarily just art. And mm. that, that's why I do things like writing. That's why I'm doing this podcast because nice. um, I, I have this creative thing that I want to, you know, output. And I'm thankful that my dad actually wow well it was mostly my brother but probably under the direction of my dad um <laughs> that I'm, I'm i'm grateful that they actually steered me away from art school because yeah. I, I do feel like it might have been something that i threw away one day wow um so i just i just say that yeah so that people are open-minded yeah to what parents have to say as well not just i'm gonna convince you but in conversation the conversations are give and take yeah you know hear what they have to say and maybe they have some good points that they they want to or pearls of wisdom that they want to impart onto you for yeah. sure yeah so yeah man this was an awesome podcast <laughs> a great conversation anything any last thoughts do you want to do that no i appreciate it david i had a lot of fun yeah yeah so guys if you're second generation listening to this um i think one big thing conversation i think is really one of the main things that we talked about today have yeah. some conversation with your parents understand where they're coming from and yeah i think that will yield the best results um, in this current situation of you know discord and disconnectedness this is david chin signing out <laughs> klove 104.6 <laughs> actually uh, before we sign off i yeah. do want to give a shout out to ktl podcast oh um, absolutely i've actually never mentioned them okay but they're actually they might be one of my biggest influences in starting this podcast that's awesome uh, danny did you hear that <laughs> Yeah, um, like I said, they're like the OG uh, Korean American Atlanta podcast. I actually listened to them even before. That's they, awesome. We we kicked it off. Wow. Um, early this year was okay. it early late last year? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, 
yeah shout out to ktl podcast you guys should go listen to them um especially the episodes where andy's on those, those are all it, all really great so yeah um if you guys have any feedback um any anything resonated with you or any anything you disagreed with please email us at i h-t-h-t podcast at gmail.com that's i hope they hear this abbreviated at g- podcast at gmail.com um if you have anything you want to uh tell andy or talk to andy about i'll make sure that that message gets uh, forwarded to him um and if you ever need a place for a revival or, or <laughs> a retreat or anything yep. daniel prayer garden is is the spot appreciate it yeah all right we'll talk to you next time and thank you again for being here andy appreciate and it actually before we close out, yeah. I do want to get this on record. Yeah. At one point, you did agree to come on, not just one time, but multiple times. Cause oh, this is true. You you do have... Because today, it, it was a struggle for me to kind of pin down one topic to talk to you yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's so much that you can share. Honestly, so, if, 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 there's, if there's the feedback, I, I would love to come back. All right, guys. We're going to need all the feedback that you can get. <laughs> all right. Bye, guys.